Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at a-o-l-s-e-n at a-l-t-u-s-m-k-t-g.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. This is Andrew Olson, and I am thrilled uh, for the session we've got booked for you today. We are here with Dr. Patton McDowell, who's the founder and president of PMA Consulting. He's the host of Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, which is one of the most successful podcasts in our sector. And he's also the author of the very newly released book by that same name, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. He spent the last 30 years in nonprofit leadership, uh, strategic planning and organizational development, serving hundreds of organizations as a consultant. But uh, prior to that, he's also sat in many of your chairs in leadership roles with Queens University of Charlotte. UNC Wilmington and Special Olympics, both North Carolina and the International Office in DC. Patton, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here, Andrew. Roy, great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So congratulations on the book launch. It's it's a day old, two days old. Tell us about it. <laughs> All of 24 hours out there. And it's been exciting. As you too well know, it's fun to finally see something like that kind of birthed. And it's a culmination of what you just described. I've been fortunate to work with fantastic nonprofit leaders for 30 years. So I hope this book allows me to kind of represent some of that excellence uh, in a written format. Awesome. So we're going to get into... Oh, go ahead, Roy. I was just going to say, you're going to have to excuse me today because the topics in this book is really what I need personally right now. So if this turns into a personal counseling session, uh, I got to apologize to our audience up front. Bring it on, Roy. I'd be delighted to work with you because uh, it will be a two-way street, I'm quite sure. As we get into this, uh, before we get into to our questions for the day, um, what's the easiest way for people to find the book? PattonMcDowell.com forward slash book or Perfect. go to the website, PattonMcDowell.com. The book is featured prominently on the site. And so I'd be delighted for people to check it out there. Awesome. So first question for you. In in the book, you know, early on, you you talk about how to help nonprofit leaders and aspiring leaders put together their like personal strategic plan. And you, you, you hone in on like seven different aspects of that. Can you talk us through those steps and why they're the most important? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I kind of approached the book while we all need theory and history of leadership and things like that. I wanted the book to be just like, we all go to a conference you go to a session, you want to have something to take away. And so I'm hoping that there are practical values, uh, worksheets, thought exercise and so forth in each of the seven. And yes, I have kind of come together around these seven stops along the path using that metaphor that I believe nonprofit leaders, especially those aspiring to senior leadership, need to visit and and maybe return to visit each of these stops. And so, Andrew, as you suggest, you know, the first one, just like we do for our organizations, you need to do person, which is sharpen your vision. So chapter one, literally, we do some exercises with our mastermind coaching program where we talk through, all right, we know you want to be a senior leader in the sector, but can you be more specific? In other words, you're in higher ed now. Do you want to stay in higher ed? Would you consider healthcare? 
would you you know jump to arts and culture or environment so the more you can define what your ultimate leadership goal looks like the more effective we can build a plan around it and so we talk about a a a vision framework. That's an exercise we do. We also talk about uh, making your personal case for support. And you two guys know this in terms of fundraisers. We make the case for our organization, but a lot of times I'll talk to a nonprofit leader and, and I say, "All right, well, give me your case for support." And they're like, "Well, I don't, I don't know. You know, I just know that I want to uh, climb the ladder, so to speak." But my hope is that we can help them sharpen their vision. It's okay if you don't have all the answers, but. Let's start with that. What do you know? What you don't know? And we'll build a plan around it. But do you want me to pause there, Andrew, or I can keep going, but that's, no, that's keep, number one. Keep going. <laughs> Map your course. Number two, you need to self-assess. Good leaders, good aspiring leaders need to be self-aware. And, and so I'm pr- trying to provide a framework, including one of the worksheets in the book is what are the 10 essential skills and experiences you need for senior leadership? And that's not just my theory. It's just from talking to people like you two. And my podcast is like yours. I've been able to talk to some fantastic leaders and worked with them in my consulting career. These are the skills that I think are essential. And I know we may talk more about those, but the point is you need to map your course with some self-assessment. And then we break it down into different time horizons. So let's let's pause there for a second, Patton. Sure. Self-assessment piece, I think is really difficult for a lot of people. Right. Agreed. So, so I've, I've been uh, in plenty of meetings where, where the takeaway is, I'm not sure that person understands the way that they come off. I'm not sure that, that there's clarity around what the real skills are there. Um, And and that's not unique to the nonprofit sector for sure. It happens to all of us. You know, I think we we're all guilty of it at at some level at some point. Um, What, what are some of the ways that, tools or tips or, or, you know, methodologies that you use to help um, sort of turn that mirror so that, so that leaders can really start to see themselves uh, as they truly are and help them kind of get over uh, maybe having false assessments of who they are. It's a great point. Often uh, the emperor has no clothes in an organization. And so if you're the more senior you get, you've said this, Andrew, the more senior you get, perhaps the less willing your peers are willing to give you honest feedback. And so I think it's critical as you move into senior leadership, perhaps more isolated where you are, you need to identify uh, both comparable peers and aspirational peers. And, and we'll talk about, there's another concept in the book. I talk about creating a personal board of directors and exactly what you're saying, Andrew, surrounding yourself with people that will tell you the truth and give you that kind of feedback. And so that to me has been helpful because I think a lot of, particularly in a pandemic, there's more and more isolation of our mm-hmm. leaders. So you have to be proactive in identifying a peer group that can give you the feedback, Andrew, that frankly, your team's not going to give you. That makes good sense. Dude. Keep rolling on the on yeah, the, keep, the uh, keep going, man. Yeah. Map your course. We talked about assessment, the importance there, using the 10 essential skills as a self-assessment tool. And then we build on that. And the next chapter is called Get in Shape. And yes, it has some degree of the classic fitness element. Because you know, if our, our mind, our body, our emotional well-being are not aligned, we're not going to be a good leader. 
Now, I'm certainly not qualified to get into diet and fitness and all that. I'm just simply encouraging people to to step back and think about it. I am and fully then, qualified <laughs> to provide ice cream recommendations. Yeah, see, that's that's about as far as I go. You know, the fast but, food order I can help you with next time you ride through the drive-through. But, but you know, Pat, and there's there's two points to being in shape. I mean, there is the the, the whole part of of uh, physical fitness, but then there's also the basic skills in development uh, of scheduling those meetings. I mean, there is a muscle memory to it. Uh, you know, whether if you're using email, text messaging, phone calls, if, if you quit doing it, you get rusty and you get out of shape. And a lot of nonprofit leaders are out of shape. Such a good point, Roy. And again, it gets back to the self-awareness concept You and, and, and a willingness to be a lifelong learner. Even if you are a successful fundraiser, you need to commit to an ongoing development of those skills. You know, one of the nuances within the 10 skills and experiences we talk about is just personal organizational skills, which I think is heightened in its intensity, given the volume this digital world in which we live provides. And as you climb the ladder, the volume is only going to get worse. Do you have systems in place to organize, prioritize, and get the right things done? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. And so the fitness I'm describing is, are you in shape to move into leadership because, yeah, you may have people to delegate to some extent, but you still have to personally be organized. And like you said, we're on those fundamentals because you you both know there are a lot of fundraisers out there who are not doing enough fundraising because they're buried in everything else on their on their desk, on their plate, on their you know laptop. <clears throat> so that's kind of a, a, a point I know you guys are, are in agreement with, but we talk about that. And then, you know, the next thing, speaking of the volume, the fourth element is what I'm calling curate knowledge, curate knowledge, meaning that given the volume of, of information out there, it is easy to be overwhelmed. What do you need to know? What are the resources that can help provide those answers? And let's come up with a plan so that you can literally learn. It's one thing to have a whole lot of books on the shelf behind me, uh, but doesn't mean if I don't read them, <laughs> they're just for show, right? And, and we talk in our mastermind group about look at your life in some ways like you're back in school. It's a semester-based lifelong learning. It never ends, which for some people, that's scary. I, I got out of college. And I'm like, I don't want to think about going back. But using that terminology, what are you going to do in the summer term? So for me, it might be, you know what? Roy, I need to work on my legacy giving information. You know, this might be the summer I'm going to read up on this. I'm going to take a course on that. I'm going to talk to some experts in plan giving, and I'm going to consider my summer term a success. And so curating knowledge is both identifying what I need to know and then coming up with a plan to literally learn it. And by the way, gentlemen, none of our nonprofit leader listeners allow enough time for themselves. I'm constantly singing that song or preaching that sermon. It's not, they're busy. I get it, but they don't carve out enough time for themselves. And if they're like, well, how come I can't climb the ladder? I'm like, yeah, but you've got to carve out some time to get better. And well, that's one thing we talked about. And I think the other thing that I see a ton of is, um, you know, as budgets are developed, right? Training and development is often the first line to get cut when things so get true. challenging. And, and so I think there's a particular uh, challenge that we need to put to board members that, you know, at the one of the board's primary roles is to oversee the, the development of that C-suite leader running the organization. So and true. if the board is not investing in her, they're not investing in the organization. 
And she's right? gone, right? right? She's gonna leave. Right, absolutely. And so I, I think there's a real conversation that's needed in the sector about um, you know, that aspect of fiduciary responsibility for a board, because oftentimes the assumption that board members make is my job is to minimize the investment made for the organization so that we retain cash versus how do we grow? Short-term thinking though, isn't it? Yeah. And could not agree more. And, and you're right. We can get the board perspective to change around because the board will complain about turnover. And all of the related challenges that creates and pressure that creates on the organization. And one of the things that I think is critical to retention is what you said, professional development. Talented people want to go to an organization. Sure, they want to be compensated fairly. But tell me that if I come to work for your nonprofit, you're going to help me grow. I'm going to stay longer. And that's something that a message I hope the, the three of us will spread even more. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's next? Um, express yourself. In fact, it, it relates, Andrew, to what you started with, um, self-awareness, the, the the critical importance of communication skills. And I break it down in that chapter to different levels of written communication. You know, if you're an executive director, you still need to write a handwritten thank you note to your top donor, in my opinion, right? But you also need to be, create that executive summary memo that your board will actually read and you distill complex information for them. Those are communication skills. And then you got a whole set of presentation, public speaking skills that when you're in the big chair, you're going to be the one at the podium for the annual gala, right? And you're going to be in community meetings where you have to speak up. So we talk to leaders in our programs and what I hope the book helps think through the different types of communication skills and then which ones you need some self-awareness about, which ones you can improve upon. I've seen more executive searches derailed. In other words, otherwise talented likely candidate because they had terrible interpersonal listening skills, right? They went through all the steps of the search. They get to that reception with the board or some search committee and they're an interrupter is the phrase I use. Now, my wife would say, Pat, you're an interrupter too sometimes. I got it. Guilty, but I'm, I'm trying to get better. But the point is, and it's back to Andrew, what you said, leaders in the sector need to be sensitive to all these communication elements. And that's what the chapter about expressing yourself is all about. Second to last, number six, build community. And there are three distinct areas I'm, I'm intense about here that it's, it's not just kind of personal networking for your own kind of, you know, more LinkedIn followers or contacts. Your organization will need you to be strategically networked. So if you want to be an executive director, president, CEO, you need to cultivate those skills early on. For example, targeted networking. I always tell nonprofit leaders, who are the best three people in your sector doing your job, you know, best in class? In other words, when I started at Special Olympics North Carolina, I was the program director and I was eager to learn and get better. So I asked everybody that I met with in that first year, who are the best in the country? Right. And they would, in, invariably, the same three or four names came up. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Susan in Colorado, or it's Steve up in Washington State, or it's Joe up in Maine. And I was like, all right, I'm making note of that. I'm going to reach out to each one of those three and say, hey, would you give me you know, 45 minutes of your time? That's, I think, a, a critical skill. And I've tried to maintain that to this day. And I encourage everybody listening and everybody I work with, who are the three people that are aspirational, best in class? and connect with them. So when I become an executive director, I should be asking the same question. I'm an executive director of a human services nonprofit in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
who were the best in this sector in the state of North Carolina or in the Southeast or in the United States. That strategic networking will pay off. And I, we talk about that networking, targeted interviews is the phrase or kind of what I go into in the book. In other words, it's not just kind of going to, you know, after work socials. It's being respectful of their time, asking some good questions, and creating a mutually beneficial relationship. So Pat, that will pay off. Talk about, just give us a handful of some of those questions that you think leaders should be asking of, of others who've been in the seat longer, who are, you know, have a higher level of expertise. Give, give us some examples of that. Absolutely. What was the biggest challenge you faced in the last two years, last five years? What did you do to overcome um, when you first started? What helped you? So in other words, if I'm a relative rookie, I'm talking to a veteran, tell me what you did, Mr. or Mrs. Veteran, when you first started. What resources helped you? What books did you read? What people did you talk to? What conference did you go to, <laughs> et cetera? And that to me, people like to talk about themselves. Yep. So I feel like, you know, if you ask questions like that, you're going to get their best stuff. And, and then you can ask more contemporary questions. All right. How has fundraising changed for you given the kind of COVID environment? What are your top donors saying? What are they? What are the biggest questions they have and how are you addressing them? That's that's goldmine conversation. And again, I always preface when I do the outreach to say, hey, just going to take 45 minutes. Love to hear a little bit about your journey. If it goes well, uh, Andrew and Roy, it, I moved to a concept called a personal board of directors, which is kind of elaborated in the book. I've had a personal board of directors for 20 years. Now, mm-hmm. these colleagues and friends and associates, you know, we don't meet in a formal, fancy way once a year and have four meetings. I have a relationship with each one of them individually, but it's a result of identifying my own kind of weaknesses or challenges in terms of information and stuff. In other words, the classic nonprofit board recruitment strategy is, all right, we need an attorney, right? We need an accountant. We need this. We need that. All right. Well, think about that personally. If I'm a program guy in my early in my career, I'm scared of the budget. You know, I'm scared of finance stuff. So I'm like, I found a buddy of mine from college that's an accountant. And he's on my personal board of directors. So I could go to him and say, all right, explain to me what this report means, you know, that our board is reading every month and I don't understand what it means at all. And so this personal board has evolved as my needs. And I would suggest as any nonprofit leaders needs change, get somebody on your board. If you don't know government relations and advocacy, find somebody. Now it goes back to those informational interviews. Not everybody turns into a board member, but some of them will click with you. And so Susan from Colorado, for me at Special Olympics, like she was awesome. And I said, hey, would you be willing to kind of keep this conversation going? And I promise I won't waste your time. And by the way, I was sensitive to trying to make sure I could add value to her world to the extent I could as a rookie. But the point is this community building that we develop as kind of rising in the field pays off when we're in a senior uh, leadership role. Absolutely. Pat, and I, I wanted to just take a second here and focus on the other side of that coin. Yes, indeed. So, I mean, what happens if if a leader uh, does not do that community outreach, does not have that personal board of advisors? Uh, uh, w- w- what do you see happening to nonprofit leaders? It's a great question, Roy. I think they get further isolated. They miss opportunities. Um, part of that network and something I'll talk about in, a, in a, maybe later in this conversation, but there's going to be increasing pressure on nonprofit leaders to constantly look for alliance building within their communities. And you're going to be left behind. So I guess to be blunt, 
If you're not well connected, you're going to miss out. Funders are going to demand in some cases that we need you all to work together, you know, with your organization and a comparable organization across town. So if I am more advanced in my networking, I'm going to be on the front end of that instead of left behind. <laughs> so that rule to me is a great point. And again, I don't mean it as a pressure to network because right. a lot of nonprofit leaders will come to me and say, Pat, I'm busy. I mean, I'm head down. We got a ton of stuff. I don't have enough people. I don't have enough resource. And I say, I get it. But like you said, Andrew, if we're only short-term focus of surviving next week, ultimately our organization is going to fall really behind. And that I think is a result of the leadership being too isolated. Yeah. It makes I, even find, I even find myself, uh, like you said, putting your head down, doing the types of things you feel like you should be doing. And then I get real isolated. Um, and, you know, feel uh, like I'm doing this all by myself. Uh, and, and one thing leads to another and, and, uh, and, and, you know, without that outside support, uh, it can really uh, have a, a, a real toll on, on your work uh, and your, everything across the board. Yeah. It's funny, Roy, I require of our mastermind folks to have one networking call in between each of our sessions. And at first I'm thinking, I'm sure they're like, all right, one more thing on my to-do list. But I think they have found there is incredible relief and support and I would encourage people, anyone listening, to think about who are you going to reach out in the next 30 days that could be both professionally and personally supportive. And it's a good habit to stay in. And so I try to keep a list of, all right, you know, Andrew Olson's on my top 10 list. I'm going to get to him someday, right? And if I can do that once or twice a month, I'm going to build a strategic network. And Roy, as you said, I'm not going to be left behind kind of which unfortunately a lot of our friends uh, are left in that isolation. And then they burn out or quit, change jobs. They leave uh, the sector. Exactly they leave right. leave the sector. Mm -hmm. And then back to your point, Andrew, then the board's like, what happened? You know, right. We were excited about the strategic plan <laughs> this year, and now we're spending all our time trying to hire people. Right. And that's the, that's the talent pipeline, I hope, and the book was somewhat motivated by that every nonprofit leader listening ought to be have, or have strategic kind of thinking around their talent pipeline. What are you doing to attract emerging leaders? You know? So that's a, that's a really big one. I mean, candidly, it's what keeps me up at night most nights, right? Um, yes. Because we can, you know, my business is a little different because I, I serve nonprofits. I'm not on the front lines. Um, Same here. Right. I, I can, I can always find money, right? Uh, we can go out and sell and we can, you know, build, build new relationships, grow our business through, through those activities. But at the end of the day, the only value we provide any organization is in the talent within our four virtual walls, if you will. So, so true. So culture and talent are are the key drivers for me. And, and I, I've been on three other uh, podcast uh, calls in the last 10 days where that same issue has come up and, and been mentioned as the number one priority for organizations right now. Um, talk a little bit more about uh, how leaders should be thinking about developing talent and how they should be developing their culture to attract great talent. What, what does that need to look like? Yep. And you, you said it earlier, and I could not agree more. You need to have a well-defined, in fact, market the professional development you do for your uh, organization. That sells externally. You need to be planting a seed to talent in your community before you have a vacancy. And so 
use your social media to talk about, hey, Susan and John just went to the conference. Susan and John enrolled in this coaching program. You know, any of your colleagues that are doing things professional development oriented, talk about it. Because I think organizations, even ones that do these things, maybe don't tell the story well enough. And so that, to me, is the first thing I want to do is make sure that, well, one, that you do it at all. And, of course, we talked about organizations that won't pay for it at all and won't do anything. Shame on them because they're going to lose, save a little money now, but lose a lot of money later, right, yeah. in turnover and other costs. But promote your professional development. Um, encourage uh, peer relationships outside your organization. Because, again, if your team is networking with other peer individuals, that becomes a two-way street. And those peers now learn more about your nonprofit. And then maybe that someday plants a seed. You know what? I'd like to work there. So I'd that's to hear what, what Roy's doing, you know, at mm, that nonprofit. That's one of those things that I think scares a lot of leaders because they they think, well, wait a minute, if they're out building that network, they're just going to leave. Right. <laughs> right. And, and you know, my perspective on it is if you build great culture and you develop great talent you should want for some of them to move on and do other great things, right? It's what not just commercial. about yes. uh, collecting all the toys, right? Um, and, and But at the same time, if we facilitate that kind of growth, I bet more people will want to stay as well. What, what's your perspective on that? I could agree on both points. I'm proud of the fact that in, in my 13 years of this firm, I've had a dozen people come and then advance into back into full-time work or whatever. And I'm convinced that more people want to work with me because I feel like I'm providing an environment which allows and encourages professional development. And so you're right. I may lose some people, but think about the value of that, the marketing value. I hate to reduce it to that. But when people look at your organization and say, wow, I went and worked for Roy and Andrew and then, or that person did, and then they got a, a, a you know, a, a significant promotion. Mm-hmm. Yep. Your organization's gold. I want to work for you. Yeah. And 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 yes, so we may lose some, but I would also argue with you, Andrew, that you'll retain people longer. Because if you don't provide me professional development, I'm gonna leave anyway. Right, right, right. And I'm gonna that's, leave with a whole different point. story to tell, right? And less a, a less attractive story to tell. Yeah. And so again, we have to get rid of our insecurities as nonprofit leaders, develop people wherever that takes them. And ultimately, I think it will come back to reward you. Okay. So one of the other things that you address in the book is this idea of a, a personal planning retreat. That that sounds very like yoga in in the forest kind of kind of crunchy granola. I don't think that's what you mean, but talk about that and what and why is it important? Well, my wife said exactly that. The first time I suggest that to her, she's like, Yeah, what what have you lost your mind? Where are you going? And this sounds very shady. And but it came to me, Roy and Andrew, that we take our organizations on retreats a lot of times. We spend these kind of, maybe it's one day or maybe it's a two-day thing, and it's organized and and in many cases effective. Why don't we do that personally? And so, yes, sometimes you might need a retreat just to unplug, and I get it. And that could be the yoga. That could be, you know, no technology, just go camp in the woods for a weekend. What I'm suggesting, you might want to, uh, in fact, I would recommend that you get out of your normal environment. You know, if you have a friend's cabin or somewhere out of town that you can go just to kind of decompress and unplug, great. But I I have in the book a structure for this potentially a weekend, you know, if you have that time. And I'm doing the same thing an organizational retreat was. Um, I would have pre-reading. 
I would give myself things to do or tapes to listen to, podcasts to listen to, to get my head in the right space to think about the next five years of my professional career. Because, you know, it's hard when you're thinking about tomorrow's to-do list. So you need to get yourself in the headspace. And, and then I do the same personal uh, retreat elements that a team retreat does. First thing we talk about is vision, right? So I, I work myself through these worksheets I've now developed. What am, where do I want to be in five years? And let's look at that each year I go on the retreat. All right, what do I need to do to get there? Am I moving closer? I do a self-assessment exercise. I, I begin to create buckets of my strategic goals and then flesh them out. And so that can take more time than you might imagine. At first, you're like, oh, I can't buy myself. That's going to be the longest, you know, 48 hours in my life. But it goes fast. And so that, Andrew, to your good question is what I'm suggesting. So I come home every year. I revisit my personal mission and vision. I revisit my five-year plan and adjust kind of the calendar accordingly. And I come away with three distinct goals. So three years ago for me, you guys can appreciate this. It was like, I want to do a podcast, right? But for a nonprofit professional, it might be, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I'm proficient in plan giving. Or I'm going to make sure I'm more comfortable uh, leading a capital campaign. Those are the kind of tactical things you can come away with. But the point is, and my maybe intentionally provocative comment to you guys is people and nonprofit leaders do not take enough time for themselves. Yeah. And it's kind of a wishful thinking every year when I'm frustrated in a Zoom meeting, I'm thinking about why am I here <laughs> and where is my life going to take me? I'm like, no, use that energy, but create an agenda and let's do something about it. Yeah. So I I don't know if this strikes for you guys or not, or, or our listeners. I know for me, those kind of things are always um, more actionable when I tell somebody else about them after the fact, right? When I say, hey, I've made these five decisions. I'm going to do this, right? Um, talk a little bit about, you know, accountability in those areas and, and how, how people can help themselves actually, actually stick to the commitments. Yeah. Again, I, I would go to the other comment of the personal board of directors. Okay. Speaking of accountability, you know, these are resource individuals that you yourself have cultivated, um, but they also can be accountability partners. So my buddy that was an accountant, he would say, look, I'm, I'm going to help you understand this, but the next time we meet, I want you to be able to understand it better. And he would say, what are you going to do? And I'd say, all right, you're right. I need to go sit down with the CFO for Special Olympics, North Carolina. And, and be willing to be vulnerable and, and uh, admit I don't understand some things. And then I came back, you know, to my buddy and he'd say, all right, well, now explain to me the expense report you showed me last time. Explain to me what the board's going to see at the end of the year and be able to talk about it in financial terms. I stumbled uh, early on, but I got better. And, and so it's to your point, Andrew, if I didn't have him to report to, yeah, all these planning exercises could be just kind of you know, lost in the wind. All right. That makes a lot of sense. And and I totally get it. Um, you know, the, the one other thing that I wanted to talk with you about, you know, so I read a lot of John Maxwell. I listen to his podcast pretty much every day, if not at least once <laughs> Good. a week. Right. And yes. and one of the things he says, uh, which I, I appreciate, and I think you'll appreciate, because when I was on your show, you asked me about what books I was reading. Um, right. But, but his, his statement is, you know, uh, all leaders are readers. Um, and, and being that the dude has written like 80 books and, and sells them all over the place, I'm sh I totally understand why he says that. Um, but uh, expanding on that idea, what's your point of view on, on you know, uh, leaders and, and 
you know, beyond sort of formal external education, um, developing our own like learning plans and figuring that out and, and uh, what's, what's most important in that area? Well, number one, that you have one. And then I love you use the phrase learning plan. It's one of my 10 essential skills and experiences, literally a learning plan. I think you can find out a lot when you're interviewing someone, do they have a learning plan? I want to know, not that they've figured it all out, but at least they're self-aware enough to admit, here's what I'm, I'm strong in right now, but here are the things I'm working on. And, and here's how I'm going to do it. And so the learning plan can define itself, you know, three years from now, maybe I'm going to pursue a graduate degree or within the next year, I'm going to chase a CFRE. You know, good. Uh, so I'm not trying to tell them exactly what to do, but I do want evidence of them having a strategic plan or a learning plan for that kind of knowledge gain. And yes, I think leaders need to be readers. And I, a lot of times when I start with that, I get to kind of roll their eyes <laughs> back at me. I'm too busy. Are you kidding? When do I have time to read? And I'm like, well, but you're, you know, you're on Netflix uh, binging that show for six hours. Just you give me half of that time right. and uh, read. But, but more importantly, you know, think about what you want to read. Think about what courses would help you. You know, what podcasts could you listen to? What websites or digital newsletters could you follow? But again, your point is a great one, Andrew. I just want evidence of a learning plan. And so when I talk to a leader, here's another question to ask him or her. Does every member of your team have a learning plan? Mm -hmm. Have you created a culture? And a lot of them are like, whoa, you know, I've been thinking about my plan. I'm like, yeah, but you're a leader. Right. What are you doing to cultivate that kind of dynamic that your junior members of the team have a plan as well? Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say, you know, my, my part of my own thing, I, I mean, I, I consume a lot of content, right? So I have podcasts on quite a lot in the background. And I'm, I'm you know, I, I won't say that I'm 100% focused on them but I pick up important, you know, key points. Takeaways. Right? And then I might exactly. go back to them and listen to more. And I, I approach reading the same way. I may not read a book cover to cover, right? Me Most too. of the books behind me, <laughs> other than the ones that Roy and I wrote, uh, I've probably not fully read, but I've picked up uh, an important nugget, you know, maybe in two thirds of the chapters. And, and I might just stop there and say, okay, I got what I needed to out of this book, right? Great point. You know what I do too, Andrew, is... Um, I force myself to write in my journal a really quick book report of everything I read, even if I don't finish it. My my discipline, or at least my attempted discipline, I want three takeaways from everything I read. Sometimes I'll write 10 takeaways, you know, because the book just kept speaking to me. But it is a discipline, and it's exactly to your point. I may not finish it, but I'm like, I got the three takeaways here. And by the way, then it allows me to kind of refer back to it. When somebody asks me, hey, Patton, have you read a good book on this? I can quickly scan to it, but it, it, I think it helps me with retention. So I guess it's part of this larger learning plan philosophy that I think uh, you you guys espouse, uh, I'm quite sure. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I love it. I mean, I, to hit with the other points you make, every morning I, I, I walk an hour, about 3.7 miles. Good for you. And and I, I, down, you know, I, I listen to at, at least a book uh, a month, uh, That's just awesome. using Audible. And, uh, awesome. uh, and you know, now, now some take a little longer, depends how, how not, not all of them are as short as the one Andrew and I wrote, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, that thing started out as 400 pages, but because of my gift of dyslexia, Andrew was able to turn it into about 150 words of English. So, uh, hey, but, but, but you uh, distilled it into the, the key points. So, right, Roy, that's all right. Well, but, but I think that, you know, the, I think you're right. And I love that, that quote, uh, you know, this, uh, Leaders are readers, and uh, and there's different ways to read. 
And, uh, and, and so I'm, uh, I've added to Roy that uh, leaders are also writers. I'm mm-hmm. convinced uh, nonprofit leaders have stories to tell, content to share. And again, I'm encouraging them, uh, write it down. I know uh-huh. you may not like to journal or you might not like to produce great content, um, but I think part of your leadership journey should involve putting content together. You know, it's a communication skill. And whether you write a book someday, up to you. But as a leader, you need to read. And I think you need to write. And I think I those it. are skills that'll pay off. So true. So true. Well, speaking of skills, uh, talk to me about uh, what you see are the uh, leadership responsibilities, duties uh, of a CEO in philanthropy. Uh, uh, how connected do they need to be in fund development? And, and, uh, and, and what's, what are good examples of that? And what are bad examples? Yeah, let's start with bad examples. Here's what I see when I work with a lot of executive directors. There's the, I call it delegate or isolate. Delegate meaning, hey, it's not my job. I got a fundraising. I got a development director. I got other people that do that. I'm, I'm just in charge. Okay, wrong answer, right? If you're an executive director, CEO, you need to be involved. So we know that. The other one is what I'd call the isolation, that I am the face. I'm the chief fundraiser. I do it all myself. And I don't invite my development director to the board meetings or to key donor meetings. And so I think both of those stances are wrong. And it leads to your good question, Roy. The executive director needs to be intimately involved in in aspects of philanthropy. Because yes, they are often going to be called on as the voice or face of their nonprofit. And so number one, I encourage executive directors, you need to be a a student of philanthropy, just like your director of development. And, And so what are you two doing to learn more, to understand all phases of the development cycle, you know, the classic development cycle. I'm seeing more executive directors consider getting a CFRE, which I think doesn't mean you have to, but it suggests to me that executive director is enlightened enough to say, you know what, I need to learn about philanthropy. It'll better my leadership and my abilities. And then two more points there. One, um, I want to see proactive thought around the executive director chief development partnership. A lot of times they work separately, in my opinion. The more they can work together and strategize and coordinate. You know, I work for a president at Queens University, and, and she was fantastic. Pamela Davies is her name. And, and we strategize. All right, Patton, are you better meeting with this donor or am I better? Or should we go together? Or should we bring in a board member? You know, I don't see those conversations happening in a lot of team meetings because they're simply trying to get through the onslaught of tomorrow and next week and all this flurry. They're not taking time for strategic, high-level, you know, major donor discussions. And then final point, Roy, the, the executive director has to be thoughtful about how to engage the board in fundraising. And often that they're on some one end of the pendulum or the other. But if you just kind of wish for it, it, it ain't going to happen. And so let's talk about board engagement and philanthropy. And that's something that you need to, to work on and to, to get better. Excellent. Excellent. It's, this, this past two or three years have been a, a challenge, especially for nonprofit leaders. Brings on a lot of, brought on a lot of stress, uh, a lot of uh, uh, change, uh, change management. Uh, what recommendations do you have for people that are kind of navigating that? And of course, you know, it's just recently got gotten worse with the shift in the economy and uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and, 
and, and the impact that's having having on on businesses in general and and ultimately that usually trickles down to having an impact on nonprofit giving but uh absolutely what are your, right. what, what, are, what are your thoughts for nonprofit led leaders uh facing that challenge today well, you you express it very well it's a very isolating environment literally because of now you know coming out of covid but it's isolating anyway for a lot of nonprofit leaders uh you can't share all of your challenges with your team they look to you as a leader you can't share all your challenges with your board because they're your boss so you're left in a lonely position in many cases so number one advice is identify and and network effectively with a peer group you know it's back to in in the case we've discussed today whether it's your personal board of directors or some term you use like that but don't remain isolated. You have peers that are probably going through the same stress. Be proactive. And like I said, I try to create and suggest when I'm coaching, who is one person you can connect with each month? And you'll get something from them, but I bet you'll be able to offer something in return. And that's just a mutually beneficial environment. Um, Give your team a break. And I know that sounds obvious, but I I see so many nonprofit leaders, as I know you guys too, they are just burning out. And of course they can say, but yeah, but our mission is 24 seven, you know, we're serving the homeless and we're educating kids. We're doing this and that, and it never stops. And I get it, but it will stop for you if you burn out and then your organization won't serve what it should. Um, I've, I've heard, and I love this idea of just many sabbaticals. And sometimes as the boss, you might have to require it like, all right, each person on our team is going to get, maybe it's just a long weekend, a month or something but create an environment and you yourself have to take the sabbatical too to demonstrate that it's important. And if we burn out, we don't do anybody any good. Um, Final point is um, coach somebody who's more junior than you. It's amazing how when you feel overwhelmed and stressed, there's somebody that, and, and maybe with less experience than you, that could use your wisdom. And so I've always tried to, and that's why I try to, we have an internship program here at the firm. And by the way, every nonprofit ought to think about an internship program as a means to identify talent. But if you're struggling, other people are too. And and often you'll get the reward of working with someone, helping them out. I think it'll help you, Roy, feel better as well. Powerful. Powerful. Very helpful to me. I told you I was going to dominate this conversation with stuff that just helps me, but I, but I hope somebody else got something from it too. I'm, I'm delighted to help you and everyone else uh, maybe uh, at the same time. So Patton, uh, we're just about out of time before we let you go though. Um, give just one more word of, of inspiration or encouragement to that leader who um, maybe it's day one on their job. Right. Or uh, or maybe it's the first day after a major personal crisis or um, or it's, you know, the the day after that that board meeting that went sideways. Um, What's what's one word of of encouragement and, and guidance you might share with them before we let you go today? Yeah, well, it, it sounds cliche, but keep your mission in mind. (laughs) <laughs> that uh, everything you describe and they're real. And so I don't mean to diminish the stress of any bad day, bad incident, but obviously your mission is first and foremost, you, you wouldn't be doing this work if you didn't believe in who you serve, how you serve. And, and so you are in fact, accomplishing things. The sector needs you. 
you know, the nonprofit sector is still among the fastest growing, even compared to for-profit sectors. And so there's encouragement that the need is only going to increase. And so if we can continue to build a pipeline, and that's maybe what I would say is keep while you have to focus on getting through that, you know, tough day yesterday, keep your eyes forward and make sure your organization continues to attract talent. There are at least three pipelines coming at you. And so I say to nonprofit leaders, what are you doing to attract and retain talent? The emerging leader? Hey, guys, there there are at least 300 university programs in the United States right now that have created undergraduate and graduate programs in nonprofit management. So there's talent. You know, unlike myself, who stumbled into nonprofit 30 years ago. Same. These are talented kids coming out of college saying, I want to do nonprofit. What are you doing as a nonprofit leader to attract them? Because the talent's there. And then there's a lot of talent like we've talked about. Roy, you said it. I'm kind of frustrated. Don't know what to do next. Well, if that organization is not going to take care of them, maybe you've got a, a plan they can join. And then final point is, I call them the uh, lateral entries. The COVID has made me realize I don't want to work at the bank anymore. I'm, I'm sick of, <laughs> I'm sick of you know filling the blank for profit. Uh, how do we help that lateral entry talent? Because it's not an automatic transfer, by the way. But there's talent out there that maybe would be a good fit if you have frankly, a good orientation for volunteers or opportunities to train, you will find this talent. And and some nonprofits are going to win, I think, if they're focused on these pipelines and others, sadly, are going to be left behind. It's a great point. Uh, Dr. Pat McDowell, thank you again for being here today. Uh, Thanks for what you contribute to the sector. How can people reach you? PatMcDowell.com is the website, best way to go. And there's information there on the book. Thank you both for uh, promoting that, encouraging Absolutely. that. It's been uh, fun to do the podcast, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. Um, uh, Andrew himself was a wonderful guest. So you can check out that episode if you go to the podcast page. I was an average and- guest. He was a great interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the opposite of that. I'm still getting good feedback. And again, it's, I think, the power of both of our podcasts. It's a wonderful medium to raise these conversations. And if you've got listeners that are interested in a coaching program, the mastermind program has been one of the most gratifying things I've been a part of. Um, you bring talented nonprofit leaders together in these virtual settings, good things happen. So if someone's interested that's listening, uh, I'd encourage them to check it out. Awesome. Thanks again for being here today. Really appreciate you. My pleasure. Have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.